What happens when God moves in our heart to deal with an old problem? Today, Mark Job explains what it means to own the ruins in your spiritual life. Stay tuned. There comes a day and a place where there's a burden in our heart and we don't know what to do about it, but it so grips our soul, it so touches our spirit, it so moves us that it's hard for us to function because deep inside we know something needs to change. Welcome to Moody Presents with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. We're studying the Old Testament prophet Nehemiah. It's all about restoring vision, reviving hearts, and rebuilding churches and cities. Boy, that sounds like a big task, doesn't it? But we have the blueprint and an example in Nehemiah of how to do it right. It all starts with owning the ruins. But you say, what does that mean? And how should we act when God moves in our hearts? We find that very story in Nehemiah chapter 1. Here's Mark Job with today's Moody Presents. Now, in order to understand the book of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament, by the way, some of you will be looking for it. It's right after Ezra, and it's uh, right before Esther. Let me give you a little bit of the historical context of this book before we jump into the message, because you need to know the, you need to know the broader background before you understand the story well. As I explained a little bit last week, Jerusalem which was the center of worship for the people of God in about 586 B.C. It was destroyed. The temple was torn down. The city was burned. The houses were taken apart brick by brick by a fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon is found in what we currently call Iraq. In fact, some of you know that Saddam Hussein was actually rebuilding ancient Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was his hero because it was the one time during history that an Arab nation had conquered a Jewish nation. So you can go into Iraq now and you can find some of the rebuilt ruins of Babylon because he was seeking to rebuild that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, because the people of Israel had turned their backs on God, began to worship idols, not listen to the word of God or scripture, God allowed the Babylonians to invade Jerusalem and to destroy it and devastate it. It was during the time of Daniel. If you remember Daniel uh, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken as exiles to Babylon. Babylon was located about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. The prophet Jeremiah declared and prophesied that in 70 years there would be a return to Jerusalem. There were three attempts to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the city. One was led by Zerubbabel, who was a prince, descendant of King David, who took 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem. He was able to rebuild the temple and start to reconstruct the city a little bit, but he was unable to finish the rebuilding of the wall. A few years later, a fellow by the name of Ezra, who was a prophet, took about 1,500 people and returned to Jerusalem, not to rebuild the temple, but to revive people's hearts because they had started to turn away from God again. 
And so he read the word of God, and people repented and were stirred in their hearts to turn back to God, and they began to rebuild the city walls and began to rebuild the gates, and then opposition arose, and they were stopped. About 12 years after that, there's a letter that's received, a report, and a fellow by the name of Hanani travels back to Susa, where a fellow by the name of Nehemiah is living. Now, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. That's his job. How would you like to have a job called cupbearer? It means holder of the cup. You say, well, that had to be a lousy job. I mean, holding cups. No, no, no. That was the name of it, but it meant much more than that. You see, a cupbearer, he was a cupbearer or the personal assistant to the most powerful man in the known world who was the king of Persia at the time. The Babylonians had been conquered by the Persians and Cyrus was the king of Persia and Nehemiah was the assistant to the most powerful man on the face of this earth at that time, the king of Persia. It was his job to taste the food before the king ate it just in case he was going to be poisoned. It was his job to be his personal assistant. He had the ear of the king. He was a trusted, loyal, successful individual, and he was also Jewish. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and from verse 5 to verse 11 is a prayer. Now, I want you to understand what was happening in Nehemiah because this morning I want to talk to you about what happens when God moves in our heart to deal with an old problem? You see, here's what I want you to understand this morning. Sometimes a problem is an old problem, but God gives us a fresh burden to deal with an old problem. How long had the city of Jerusalem been in ruins before Nehemiah was moved to deal with this problem? 141 years. This wasn't a new problem. All his life, this had been a problem. It's like if someone came up to us and said, hey, Ray, guess what? Lincoln has been shot and the Civil War has happened. He said, yeah? Old news, buddy. I mean, that happened 140, 150 years ago. I mean, what's the deal? Shouldn't we be over it by now? And if it's an old problem, it's a problem that's been around for a long, long, long time. But how many of you know that sometimes if a problem's been around for a long time, we get used to the problem? 
Some of you have, been, have lived in homes where there's been a problem that's been around forever, and you're not even aware that it's around anymore. In fact, you've made a separate room for the problem, you've invited the problem in, the problem has a couch and a chair, you've established yourself, you live as though the problem were a, fr- a, a family member now. Almost as though, hey, we've never known life without this problem. This problem exists, we accept it, we ignore it, we're not moved by it, we don't try to change it, we don't try to kick it out of our house, we just accept it because we've always had this problem. Some of you have addiction in your home, but you've had addiction in your home ever since you were a little kid. You've grown up with addiction. You've gotten used to addiction. The fact that someone gets high or drunk every other weekend doesn't doesn't phase you because you've had that addiction in your home for years and years. The fact that the husband gets drunk and yells at his wife and the kids and doesn't wake up in the morning but comes to in the morning, doesn't go to sleep at night but passes out at night, you've just become used to it. It's just part of the makeup. It's just part of life. It's just you live with it, accept it, acknowledge it. Don't even try to change it. Why? Because all your life that problem has been around. Some of you have been married for 40 years, and for the last 30 years, you've had a lousy marriage. You had two years of a good marriage, five years of a more or less marriage, and it was all downhill from there. And you just kind of accepted a lousy marriage. You just kind of say, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, ever since I can remember almost, we've had a pretty lousy, messed up marriage. You live with it, you accept it, you tolerate it, you you just kind of put up with it as though life is that way. You're not shocked by it. You don't try to change it. You're not driven to counseling. You do nothing about it. You accept the problem as though this were a normal part of life because we've gotten used to this old problem. We treat this problem as though it were a normal part of life because we've lived with this problem for such a long, long time. Some of you have lived in debt and financial crisis for most of your life. I mean, you can't even remember a time when you had a real decent savings account. Uh, You're used to having collectors call your house. You're used to uh, switching credit card payments from one credit card to another. The, the, The guy at payday knows you by first name, last name, date of birth. You know, you go in there so often. You, you, you're used to indebtedness and living check to check and, and, and you're used to not being able to pay your bills and you're used to juggling to try to figure things out. Ever since you can remember, you've done it. Ever since you can aware of, you've lived that way in your life. And you don't see any other kind of way of living. You accept it. You tolerate it. You don't try to change it. It's just a part of your makeup because it's a problem that you have grown up with. There are some households where the men, ever since you can remember, every man, the grandfather, the father, the sons, and the cousins, it's just natural, normal, acceptable Pretty much standard behavior that they all have affairs and mistresses. Pretty much standard. Everybody knows it. Grandfather did it. Had a couple. No one talked about it, but everybody knew it. Father 
the same, goes out, has an affair, mistress, everybody knows it, no one talks about it, does it. The kid's the same, the cousins, and everybody knows you're married for a while, you're not going to leave that woman that you're with, but you go out, you have your affairs, you have your mistresses, you do this. It's just pretty much standard operation in some families and households. It's tolerated, accepted, understood. It's just part of the polity of that family, and it's a huge problem, but you tolerate it, accept it, live with it, expect it, because it's a problem you've grown up with, it's a problem you've become accustomed to. Every woman that marries into that family kind of expects that it's going to happen. It's tolerated. When they get upset about it, some grandmother puts her arms around and says, honey, they've all done that. I'm sorry you, you had to do this. And we just tolerate it because sometimes we grow up with a problem. We become immune, calloused to the effects of that problem. And we make room in our life and room in our house and room in our heart for those problems. There comes a time, there comes a day, there comes a place where you wake up to the problem and you, dis you discover that I no longer am willing to live with an old problem. I need to do something about it. You know, Nehemiah is not just a story about some guy who decided to build a wall and restore a city. Through his godly example, we find practical steps that we can follow to start rebuilding our spiritual lives. This is Moody Presents with Mark Job, and we're happy you're listening in today. It's a great series titled Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World. And we've just begun a verse-by-verse -verse adventure through the book of Nehemiah. Pastor Mark is talking about owning the ruins. Now, if you missed any of our messages so far, you'll find them for your convenience at our website, moodypresents.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere, on demand at moodypresents.org. Hey, what do you do when you're so burdened about a need, but you don't know what to do about it? As we return to today's teaching segment, Pastor Mark Job describes how Nehemiah dealt with the stirring that was in his heart here on Moody Presents. Nehemiah had a problem, a 141-year-old problem. Ever since he had grown up, Jerusalem had been in ruins. Ever since he could remember, it had been this way. It had never been any other way. He'd been accustomed to it, used to it. But there comes a time and a day, there comes a place where God begins to work supernaturally, powerfully, and where our vision is changed. Now, what happened on this day? I don't know. He had heard about Jerusalem many, many, many times before. But on this particular day, at this particular moment, maybe because of changes in Nehemiah's heart, maybe because it was his brother telling him the story, but somehow this hit close to home. Somehow, this old problem became graphic, real, tangible. And for some reason, on this day, at this moment, at this time, this, re this old, old problem became unacceptable to Nehemiah. Some of us have to reach a point where our problem becomes unacceptable. Unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. It's not something I'll tolerate. 
Not something I'll live with. Not something I'll put up with. Not something I'm going to embrace for my family, my children, the generations after me. Not something I'm going to close my eyes to and just act like it's always been there and life is always that way. There comes a point in time where God stirs up our heart and gives us the courage to say, no more. Nehemiah woke up to the tragedy of the city that was called his city. Suddenly, he began to realize, Jerusalem, the place that I'm from, it's devastated, it's torn down, it's old, it's been that way for years, but it's not God's will. It's not the way it should be. It's not the way it's meant to be. And when I have a vision of what God has called it to be, and my reality doesn't match up with what God has called us to be, it generates an inner problem. It's called a burden. I don't know if you've ever had a burden. A burden is something that comes over you because you have a vision of what something could be, but your reality doesn't match what it could be in God. It's called a burden. It's heavy on you. It weighs you down. You can't shake it. And maybe you go to a family get-together, get a family party, and you haven't been there in a while, but now you're a believer. And you show up at your family party, and you have all these fond memories of your aunts and uncles and family gatherings, but you go to this family party, and you notice that one of your uncles is getting drunk and slobbering over himself. And one of your nieces and nephews have dropped out of school and now he's hanging out with shady individuals. And you hear rumors that he's hanging out with gangs. And your cousin, their marriage has fallen apart. And your other one, they're fighting and bickering among themselves. And you walk away from the family gathering and you have a burden on your heart. Because you have a vision of what it could be, but your vision of what God wants it to be doesn't match the reality of what it is, and you can't shake it. The next day you think about it, how can my family be so messed up and people that I love be in such turmoil and chaos, and it doesn't release you. That week you think about it often. For a week you're still waking up and concerned about it. It burdens you. It weighs you down. It hovers over you because now there's a problem there and you've been awakened to the fact that that problem should not exist that way. There's a tension between what you see could be and what is. It's called a burden, a God-given burden. Nehemiah, here's the story of Jerusalem. The walls are torn down. The people are in disgrace. And he says in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Leads me to my second point. I want you to write this down. You see, our hearts will be moved and our spirits stirred often before we determine what action we should take. Sometimes you're burdened by something, but you don't know what you should do about it. Has that ever happened to you? You get weighed down by something, but you say, what can I do about it? I don't know what to do. Your heart's awakened. You're realizing it. You look at the condition of a place, of a family, of a life, of a city, 
It may be the city you live in, the neighborhood you're in. It may be your family. It may be your marriage. It may be your own personal life that you suddenly wake up and look at yourself in the spiritual mirror of the Word of God and you take your sleeve of faith and you wipe away the fog of sin and discouragement and look at yourself and realize I am not who I should be. This is not where I should be spiritually. And you get a burden about change in your life. Or you're woken out of numbness. You look at your neighborhood. Some of you right now live in communities where you're just getting sick and tired of hearing of another 17, 18-year-old boy getting shot and killed. We live in a city where there's seven to eight hundred homicides a year. A year. Now when a 17-year-old Hispanic boy is shot and killed in a corner, it doesn't even make the front page of the Sun-Times or the Tribune. Because we become, we become so used to some gang-bang kid getting shot and killed that it doesn't phase us anymore. Just life. It's part of the city, just the way things are. And we become immune to the way, th the, the, the way that God has called it to be. But there comes a day and a place where there's a burden in our heart and we don't know what to do about it, but it so grips our soul, it so touches our spirit, it so moves us that it's hard for us to function because deep inside we know something needs to change. Nehemiah became so burdened with this image of a broken down Jerusalem. He didn't know what to do about it. He wasn't in a place to do so. He wasn't a prophet, wasn't a preacher. He didn't live in Jerusalem. It was 800 miles away. But deep inside of his heart, he knew something needs to change. It's a burden on his heart. A vision of what could be, but is not yet. Now, about 500 years later, just the same way that, that Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem, 500 years later, there would be a man born in Bethlehem that would look over the city of Jerusalem and that would also weep. Not weep over the torn down walls or the torn down temple because the temple will have been rebuilt by that time, but he would weep over the spiritual condition of the city. It tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In a parallel gospel, it says, and when Jesus saw the city, Jesus wept over the condition of the city. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes our heart becomes so callous, so hard, so used to the problem that it doesn't shock us anymore, we don't weep anymore, when we should be weeping. You say, Pastor, I don't have any more tears to cry. I cried years ago, but I've stopped crying since then. I've just gotten used to it. I live with it. Sometimes God has to stir up our tears again, move our hearts again, stir our spirit again. Sometimes the things that we should really shock us need to shock us once more. Sometimes we need to take our arms from off that problem and say, you know, problem, I am not your friend. 
I will not tolerate you, accept you, embrace you, put my arm around you. You are not to be in my life. I have a vision that's given from God, and it's a different vision. And my vision does not include you problem. Amen. You see, sometimes you have to get stirred enough to be able to realize that you, you have to take action about it. And, and, and see, the next thing that Nehemiah did, he had a burden. It weighed heavy on his heart. He wept. And then it says, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's Pastor Mark Job, and this is Moody Presents. We're talking about owning the ruins and what it means to act on a heart that is burdened to rebuild. Nehemiah is our focus, and we've just begun in chapter 1. Hey, remember what your mom and dad used to tell you when it was time to pitch in and do a household chore? My folks said this many times, many hands make light work. (laughs) Well, it was true then, and it's true today. Here at Moody Presents, we're looking for a few Moody Presents partners who will pitch in financially to support this ministry. If everybody who listens regularly would support us regularly as a Moody Presents partner, boy, all our expenses would quickly be met. It's easy to sign up at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Now, when you become a Moody Presents partner at a level of $30 a month or more, and you do choose whatever level you like, by the way, but if you choose that $30 a month level or more, we're going to send you a discount code that you can use to get a 50% discount from Moody Publishers. I'm talking every devotional, every Bible study, kids book, biography, all half off, as long as you like. Why not enjoy these savings yourself when you head online to moodypresents.org. You know, it's our hope and prayer that what you hear on this broadcast week after week is encouraging and equipping you to live out your faith in a bold way. Next time, we continue with Owning the Ruins. I'm John Geiger, and on behalf of Dr. Mark Job. You've been listening to Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.